host, Katie Quinn, and welcome to Keep It Quirky, the pod where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about everything from what makes them tick to the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, and I'm going to jumpstart this episode with a little inspiration boost. So if you're a creator like me, and you find yourself standing on the edge of beginning a big project or taking the plunge, and you just need a little nudge, you know, as we all feel from time to time, I think that this conversation might help you. I experienced this feeling recently, just before starting the podcast, actually. And that's when I had a conversation with my buddy, Charlotte Hu, that made all the difference. I'll call it the just do it factor. So I would like to introduce you to Charlotte. Hello. (laughs) I pulled out the microphone while we were sauntering the crowded old Spitalfields market in London, where we wandered after a delicious Indian lunch we just had. And I asked her if she remembers what she told me in response to my telling her that I was thinking about starting a podcast. I think my exact words were just do it. I consider Charlotte not only a smart and talented friend, but also rather wise. She's a successful freelance photographer now, but that wasn't always her path. And what did you do before you were a freelance photographer? So I studied maths and economics at uni, (laughs) Uh, put that to good use for about four years as an accountant, and then thought, nope, this is not what I want to do with my life. And so she made the leap to follow her dreams, which we're all capable of doing. But Charlotte, having the math background that she had, had worked out an equation to help her take this big step. So when she says, just do it. When I say just do it, I think you've got to get yourself to about 80% by logic, by knowing you have the financial means and like you yourself, you you knew you were going to have, you know, a a decent audience that you can start off with. Right. And I have like interviewing the journalism background. So exactly. You've got, you've got the means, you've got the knowledge, you've got the skills that gets you about 80% of the way. And then, (laughs) and then the last 20% is the just do it factor. Like you can never get to a hundred percent. Sure. 100% certainty on on any creative project you're going to do. That last bit has just got to be a just do it. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the podcast, Charlotte. My pleasure. And so here I am on episode seven. And thanks for being here today with me. While I mark a milestone, this episode is brought to you by Better Almond Butter, which not only makes me feel like this podcast just got legit, but I am thrilled because it is a product that I so wholeheartedly believe in. If you're an almond butter lover and you're not eating sprouted almond butter, you are literally missing out. Better Almond Butter sprouts all of their almonds, a process that makes them easier to digest and actually allows your body to absorb all of the nutrients that this superfood has to offer. Using only unpasteurized almonds from Spain, Better Almond Butter is truly the most nutritious and delicious almond butter around. You can get Better Almond Butter in three flavors, sweet and salty, toasted, and truly raw. Head on over to betteralmondbutter.com and buy it with the offer code KEEPITQUIRKY to get 10% off your entire purchase. That's the offer code Keep It Quirky. By buying this delicious almond butter, you're also supporting this podcast. So thanks. And I've got to say that almond butter is one of those foods that I find delicious and nutritious. Um, not all foods are like that and can get kind of complicated, you know, and I really love sweets. So how am I supposed to give that up on a daily basis, but still do what works? One of my resources on this is 
Henrietta Inman, today's guest. She doesn't have rules, and that's something I love about her. She's a pastry chef and cookbook author. Her newest book, The Natural Baker, has just been released, and she has showed me that delicious desserts can be made with ingredients I never even considered. I even feel like calling her a baker is a little too traditional sounding because it doesn't quite explain her baking style, which incorporates so many innovative ingredients like almond butter, for instance. I hope that this interview offers a response to people who may question, like, why use another flour aside from white flour or white sugar or full cream? I think it's easy to look at alternate ingredients as, like, pretentious or something, but as, as you'll hear Henrietta explain, using other kinds of ingredients can actually make things taste more delicious. It has nothing specifically to do with trying to be healthy or anything. You know, white flour, white sugar, full cream desserts are also amazing, but there is space for both kinds of desserts. Henrietta made her way from the fine patisserie world to her current food philosophy. So we start off in her kitchen, which is a big open space on the east side of London. Uh, And it's like her crazy laboratory where she has all kinds of goods that are very Henrietta. And before we officially began the interview, she whipped some of these out for me. Okay, so Henrietta's taking out (laughs) some of her goods that she just had in her kitchen. So what, what do you have here well i had 18 people over for tea on <laughs> sunday because i'm doing pop-up teas from my house Ooh, pop-up teas yeah so there's always leftovers amazing and this these are some forced rhubarb nothing she does is predictable and, or even um, typical though some are inspired by traditional desserts oh and they're all mouth smackingly delicious oh and did i mention that they're quite beautiful too it looks slightly burnt but that's the molasses mm. making it really dark and it's really gooey it looks beautiful thank you that's one of my it's really fresh ginger in it wow. so it's really got a really big kick yeah and then this I think part of, of what allows Henrietta to make all these creations is because she doesn't rely on sugar like a crutch in her desserts. Instead, she thinks of sugar um, kind of as cooks think of salt. Sugar can often mask a lot of the proper flavors of things, so I just like to have add enough that everything else is lifted up, but not too much to mask the sort of proper flavors. Yeah, it's kind of like using salt well. It's yeah. I, I've never thought of using sugar that same way, but it makes total sense. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. like a seasoning for sweet things. <laughs> Can I try that guy? Yeah, I think that's... What's it called thing. again? The Sticky ginger pear molasses cake. I will have a sticky ginger pear molasses <laughs> cake, please. Now let's sit down with this treat and get into it. This pod with Miss Henrietta Inman. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I arrived uh, to Henrietta's home (laughs) slash kitchen workspace. Yeah, because... So I make cakes to order and um, do supper clubs and things like that. So I need quite a big... And I do classes at my house as well. So I've got... Yeah, it's a big space. It's a really good space, but I use it. I'm I'm making a lot of use out of it Um, and hosting pop-up teas and things as well here. It's so fun. It is a fantastic space. It is a home. It's clearly Henrietta's home, but at the same time, her shelves of dry stores in the kitchen. (laughs) I mean, it's better than any grocery store I've been to recently. It's like an industrial oven, right? Is that yeah? It's called a blue steel. Blue. No, I was about to say blue steel, but is that that's Zoolander? Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a really good oven. Apparently, 
have you heard of the bakery uh, Hummingbird? Yeah. So I would, that was sort of the guy who sold it to me. He said they use it at all the, all the Hummingbird bakeries. So yeah. that sold me. <laughs> <laughs> and then just beyond the Hummingbird bakery oven, there uh, these massive windows and doors going to outside the backyard where she has this beautiful garden, which is relatively rare in London, but it totally makes sense for who you are. So so let's rewind and um, talk about where you're from and how you got into all this. So you're from Suffolk. So Suffolk is on the southeast coast of the UK. Um, and it's a really beautiful region, really well known for all its amazing producers and farmers. I grew up there with my brother and sister, my parents, and we also had a still have a vegetable garden and my parents loved to and lots of fruit trees as well my parents loved to cook and you know we'd always go a lot to France on holiday and my father would say you gotta try this gotta have this he's a real sort of gourmand that really influenced me and I knew I always wanted to do something to do with food but I never really knew in what way whether I didn't think because I think I'm quite a sort of gentle shyest person I never thought you know I could live up to the or, or be that crazy chef in a kitchen or the stereotype of what we think is a sort of shouty, loud, quite sort of macho environment. I didn't think I was quite cut out for that. Um, but so I sort of thought a bit and I went to university because um, I was quite still, I suppose, academic in a different way. Um, and did French and Italian at Edinburgh, which I loved, and got to travel so in France and Italy, um, in Avignon and in Bologna, and then tasting everything and seeing all these beautiful patisseries and pasticcera. Like I mean, two of the best food yeah. areas yeah. ever, yeah. and like pastry, that's incredible exactly. there. Yeah, yeah, France is sort of the you know they're the kings of pastry, so yeah. that really influenced my. My next sort of step. So after I left university, I um, trained to become a pastry chef. So where I trained was at the Lanesborough Hotel. Um, and that was all, that's very well known for its afternoon tea and um, things like very sort of fine patisserie and then sort of in a Michelin starred Italian restaurant. So again, that was very refined and stuff. Um, but then I worked for a really amazing female chef called Sky Gingel. And with her, I was doing a lot more savory. And she is the chef at Spring now? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. she's a really well-known chef here in, in London. Everyone who's listening who's not in London. So I was working for her in between Petersham and Spring. It was quite as funny. She was when she was looking for a London location after Petersham. Um, but yeah, it was so good learning more about, you know, how to properly season things and use good olive oil and she uses a lot of lemon zest and things to really sort of lift up flavors so I learned a lot from her and then at what point did you decide to take all of this like these incredible experiences and these very influential and um, knowledgeable people that you worked for and when did you decide to go off on your own and like I'm gonna make a career out of this and and your first cookbook clean cakes has done really really well can you explain at what point did that come in this whole evolution I'm still figuring it out also how to work for myself and do it which is a really a good thing to I'm I'm so glad you're honest about that because everyone listening who is like, oh, I want to do that, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, yeah. guess what? No one ever knows what they're doing. It's just that's something else. I think also with social media and stuff. Although I completely 
love all the positives of it all, of Instagram and everything. I think, as I know, lots of people look at my Instagram and say, oh, you're so busy and everything like that. But I'm still, it might look like it, like you're giving off this. Because right. it's good to sort of show the positives and everything. You don't want to do these negative posts saying, oh, how am I going to pay my rent this month? Yeah. But <laughs> self being self-employed is hard. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so I'm still, but it's it's good. And I love it. And I wouldn't want to have a nine to five office job. I'd worked in kitchens for about five years. And um, I think the last job was with Sky. Uh, and I just, I've always wanted to do something of my own. And I also love being a hostess and sort of creating spaces or whatever, making the whole experience wonderful, you know, with the flowers and the table setting and everything like that. So eventually... The dream is a cafe, um, but uh, so after sort of the five years in kitchens, I just I was quite tired and just um, needed a bit of a break, and also just wanted to do something. I thought I'd learned enough um, by then to I had enough skills to do something of my own, and I wanted to. A lot, a lot of chefs do allow you to be quite free and have your ideas as well, but. There's nothing quite like, you know, being your own boss and doing your own thing. Yeah. And if if it is for you and you start that yeah. down that road, there's no going back to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I moved back to Suffolk um, just for some fresh air and to have a bit of space from the city. And I started also, I suppose it was the time when um, healthy eating, there was a really big sort of healthy evening eating movement lots more vegetarianism and things. Um, and I also, just from working in kitchens and just sort of living off pasta and bread and just getting what you're given, really, because you just sort of need sustenance. Mm. Just wanted, just being back at home and in the country and again surrounded by all these amazing producers and vegetables from our own garden and things, I just wanted to eat well again. Not that I hadn't, you know, not that I was eating sort of... 10 miles bus every day or anything but no, I, get, um, I get what you're saying when I was in culinary school I would only eat the food that we had made I would eat the leftovers from class because it was like free food I didn't want it to go to waste yeah, exactly. but it was like it gets heavy like heavy cream veal pasta over and over again yeah. it's good to shake it up so I get what you're saying yeah so I suppose the way I, I wanted to eat sort of better and then sort of wanted to make sort of do something different with the pastries I was making as well um and use maybe more whole grains and sort of in Suffolk there's amazing local honey um and people growing wheat and spelt and rye there's lots of um oilseed rape fields which makes a really delicious um cold pressed rapeseed oil has a lovely sort of earthy flavor um so I was eating this sort of lovely food and I wanted to put it more into my cakes as well um so it sort of started I suppose it was a bit more sort of natural still still using sort of white flour if I needed it to make things a bit lighter um but mainly more whole grains and things like that and I just found that they just suddenly started to make everything taste so much more and give everything so much more texture and flavor because you know white flour white sugar they're great sort of canvases to layer on flavors and things because they don't really have much flavor themselves um and I love them I love the really classic patisserie um but I found that when I start when my sort of 
base foundation ingredients were these whole grain flours or more brown sugars or sort of fragrant honey that just started and then I added on the spices or the chocolate I just started to make everything taste so much more delicious so that's how I started to sort of develop this more natural way of baking your new cookbook that's coming out really soon March 22nd it's called The Natural Baker yes and and so you were just explaining about you know how natural baking is was kind of the base of your first cookbook your second cookbook though in The Natural Baker you really have like I think broadened what it means to bake naturally right because you incorporate um a lot of other different kinds of foods yeah so my first like I was saying my first book it was there was I think it was when did it I think came out in 2016 I lose track of time (laughs) I can't believe it's already nearly March um but um and it was a time you know, the amazing Hemsley sisters were doing their thing. and Which I have to say really quickly, sorry to interrupt, Hen, that um, Melissa Hemsley is the one who introduced us. Um, yes, we met at a Borough Market dinner. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Melissa and the Hemsley sisters. Shout out. Um, so they were doing their thing and making just really nourishing, delicious food with lovely sort of healthful ingredients. And um, also not really using grains, using things like buckwheat and quinoa. And also, there's talking of sort of local farmers and things. There's now people in Suffolk who are growing quinoa, which is amazing. Whoa. Um, so, my first book is all gluten and dairy and refined sugar free, just because I, I suppose I was probably a bit influenced by everything that was happening around me in the food world. And then you've also told me in the past that your clients were actually asking for that. So it was like not just on you. It was like the people around you were asking for you to make that. Yeah, because I used to sell at farmer's markets and either people had allergies or they were just slightly being influenced by what everyone was saying was, you know, what is good for you? I don't know. But so, yeah, people were asking for gluten-free stuff, dairy-free stuff, and also saying, oh, it's, you know, they especially women or older women that would often come along to my stall and say, oh, I better not, it's a bit too sweet or this or that. Um, so I sort of said, well, actually, it's only got a little bit of honey and it's made with, you know, this really delicious whole grain buckwheat flour. And so I think you can still make really delicious cakes that have got really good nourishing ingredients. But um so that led me to a discovery of so many new ingredients like as I said buckwheat and quinoa and uh, other grains like teff and brown rice flour I mainly use stuff that's grown here but I think it's also really interesting to experiment with other ingredients you know we've been importing things for years thousands and thousands of years so thousands not quite you know it's all part of the world trade and everything so I think it's it's good and fine to use things from abroad as well sometimes just to mix things up and really interesting to try new ingredients um so that led to that and then I sort of I suppose I did it in a different way around going that way first and then I sort of went back to wheat and spelt but more whole grain wheat and whole grain spelt and things like that but so this my next book is sort of a lot of ingredients I learned about when writing my first book and then interspersed with a lot more wheat spelt rye things like that but mainly whole grains and things like that but nothing but not 
you know, if there's a dairy-free recipe, it's because I love to use coconut oil, for example, because it has a lovely vanilla-y flavour, not to sort of be dairy-free, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I, I totally see what you mean. And I have to say that I'm getting a sneak peek of the cookbook here. The ca- Katie's got a cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah, Katie's got a cake. Okay, and so going back to when you said that you enjoy, like, the hostessing part yeah. of of cooking and you, you like sharing that with people, mm-hmm. um, I can attest to that as being true, ladies and gentlemen, because I came to Hen's place and what it's like Tuesday mid-morning and she offers me tea, the wonderful hostess that she is. It's amazing green, jasmine green tea. Good and proper tea. Shout out. Yeah, shout, <laughs> shout out. Good and proper tea. And um, she offered, oh, look at that. And she's refilling my tea as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then she just like whipped out. She was like, are you hungry? You want a bite? And I, I don't say no if Henrietta Inman is asking me that because I know she makes amazing things. And then she just like whipped out. <laughs> These three beautiful... Otherwise, I've got most of that. They were in the fridge. Otherwise, I've got a stock of stuff in my freezer. I'm sure. Oh, my God. I have no doubt. Editake is a term that Henrietta <laughs> introduced me to, and I love it. So while I Editake, and just to say what Editake is, so I'm going to get a piece of this, which I've already had a piece. It's really good. Um, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and um, when I talk about... This is so good. I mean, it is crazy... Crazy moist, very, very flavorful. Okay, so that was just Editake, what I just did. <laughs> Hen, where did you get the term Editake? It's, uh, I think it was, so a lot of people here in the UK listen to Radio 4, BBC Radio 4, um, and there was a really great program called Woman's Hour. Mm. Um, and But I think it was also from another program on Radio 4 called The Archers, which is a serial about... Um, a fictional sort of farming village called Ambridge. Um, So I think it was a mixture of both. I think it was the characters on that eating while talking and Radio 4 got complaints. They're like, there's far too much sort of meal scenes happening (laughs) in the the Archers. And then I think also because sometimes on Women's Hour they do a segment, I think our friends the Hemsleys have been on it and loads of great female chefs with chef cooking and then the presenter either Jenny Murray or Jane Garvey will taste it and then I and then I think it's Saturday or Sunday and there had been a lot of complaints about the women's hour presenters talking and just making far too much noise or eating these recipes that have been made and just too much sort of you know of those noises so they sort of laughed it off Jenny Murray um the presenter and coined it eaty talky (laughs) It's my new favorite term. Yeah. I think you were quite sort of delicate with your oh. eaty talking. <laughs> Thank you. It's the best we'll comedy when we listen back. <laughs> so true. So true. Do you think that your recipes are for experienced bakers or do you think that they're really for anyone who's interested? Yeah, definitely anyone who's interested. And I am, um, well, both, I think. Anyone who loves cooking or experimenting with sort of different ingredients a bit or also, you know, just quite regular ingredient, you know. The the pear cake you had was um, just dates blended up with yogurt, molasses. Um, what else? Eggs, a bit of rapeseed oil, and then you ju- and then lots of um, freshly grated ginger, and then you just add in ground almonds and baking powder. That's it. So lots of, I that's I think the first book because it was more these 
a bit more sort of specialist ingredients, all these sort of crazy gluten-free flours and things. Um, then definitely some feedback I got was saying, you know, where do I find all these crazy ingredients a bit? So I've definitely tried to make my next book a lot more approachable. And so I love coconut sugar because I love the sort of caramelly flavor, but it's very similar to just normal brown sugar. So I've tried to develop every single recipe, make sure it works with coconut sugar and also brown sugar. So it's also a massive price difference Mm -hmm. between coconut sugar and regular brown cane sugar. So the readers can decide what they want to make. And, um, so I feel like I've gone off on a tangent from your question. No. <laughs> well, tell me about what the process was like in recipe testing all these. I mean, you just said that you made sure that they all worked with brown sugar or, or, or coconut sugar. But like, yeah. tell me about what it was, what it's like to write a cookbook. It's, now that you've written two. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's quite stressful, but in a good way it's sort of very um obviously really amazing when you hold it hold your book um when it's all finally printed but um you sort of so you take some kind of proposal idea to the a publisher and hope that they like it and then they say yes and you sort of discuss sort of how the chapters are gonna how it's all gonna be structured and then they basically it was sort of three months to recipe test 80, 85 recipes and you sort of have to give them in in three blocks. Well, I'm sure it works differently for everyone, for every cookbook, but my publisher works in a way that um, sort of every month I'd send in a third of the recipes to my editor. Okay, so we just had a little (laughs) technical difficulty, so (laughs) apologies. You were saying, Henrietta. Uh, I think I was saying that... um, (laughs) I think cooking is just about experiment. Well, it's about having fun in the kitchen and at the end of the day making really delicious things. And whether that's very classical, you know, I can't think of anything right now. Duck or, I don't know, something. Canard or orange or (laughs) (laughs) something, you know, classic and French or just a beef stew or something very sort of homely and comforting or whether it's some, whether you're interested in veganism or some kind of raw, activated, dehydrated (laughs) pizza base or whatever it is. I think it's just really, really inspiring to have lots of different and and also different cuisines from different cultures. I just think it's really exciting and inspiring to have lots of diversity when it comes to food and cooking and what we're all making. So don't think that's I think that's something sort of, you know, you know, lots of classic chefs might be saying, oh, what is all this stuff about vegan cooking? And we want butter and cream and everything. And I, I think, why can't we just have everything? And I think that's sort of what we should embrace yeah. as we sort of move on. Yeah, there are so many different food philosophies and I yeah. respect, you know, whatever people As long as believe. it's delicious. Yeah, as long as it's <laughs> delicious, as long as you enjoy eating it, yeah. and it and it helps make life more delicious. Exactly. If food is, you know, it's one of the pleasures of life and, you know, we've all got troubles and worries and everything. Us probably a lot less than a lot of other people in the world, but... You know, we should take joy in the 
pleasures that we can have. Baked goods are so often, as you said, celebratory, right? You you eat them when you're celebrating. But in your life, because it is your job, you are making them all the time. You know, even when it's not a time to celebrate or when you feel really crappy about how the day is going or whatever. What is that like to always have your hands on something that is celebratory for other people? (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. I need to... I, um... Yeah, I suppose it's what I, what brings me joy. Why I do it all is because I think through really good food you bring other people joy, and I love that side of it. So if I am having a bit of a crap day, I will, you know, once I, you know, finish that cake and, you know, put on that chocolate icing or whatever, and sent it off with the courier, or someone's going to pick pick it up. That does that brings me happiness, and I think you've just got to remember what the and sort of what what's coming out of it and who's getting it and 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 yeah not think oh it's been a bad day i can't be bothered to weigh these ingredients properly <laughs> you've got to still you know it's my job and it's i've got to do it properly yeah so it's something that i ask a lot of the creative people who are on this podcast is like how do you get unstuck because creativity is so much about feeling inspired and you know those juices flowing and when the juices aren't flowing like how do you get unstuck and it sounds like for you that um face-to-face time with the people when you see them smile when they've had a bite of what you've made is a big thing anything else yeah Uh, so that really really inspires me that's what doing these supper clubs and these afternoon teas that's what really has been pushing me to really try and figure out some kind of my own space or cafe hopefully soon um but um, what would the name of your cafe be called by the way i don't know all right well if anyone has any ideas um leave a message for henrietta on instagram (laughs) at henrietta inman yeah the pink pink cheeks henrietta has these beautiful amazing pink cheeks i would go home to the countryside and chill out to get my juices flowing um, I realised this at Christmas because I'd been working so much. For well, just like everything had been quite full on. People want to eat cake at Christmas, <laughs> so and then I had a good proper and with writing my book and everything last year, which was very full on. So I had a proper sort of week off at Christmas and being at home in the country and just fresh air with my family and that really, I suddenly had all these new ideas and I think that's something about being self-employed. You can so easily just go non-stop and just you know think oh everyone else is doing that so I really need to do it or um and sort of because you don't have that structure of going into an office clocking off mm-hmm. it's sort of always there yeah you, you can easily can be 10 o'clock at night you can yeah. take your emails and yeah so I think switching off and just that is so important for keeping creative juices flowing Totally agree. And that's a great tip. I think burnout is a real thing yeah. when you're when you're self-employed. Yeah, definitely. How do you keep it quirky in your life? Oh my god. Um <laughs> using natural ingredients. <laughs> Shaking up my baking. Um and God, how do I keep it quirky? See doing the things I just said to unwind and things and um having a lot of color around me which i think is really important and um making trying not to take i can very easily take life a bit too seriously 
And I think it's really important to keep it quirky and always and smile and just sort of, you know, if you had a bad day. So a very good family friend would always just say, it doesn't matter. So many things, worries or comparisons of other people or just, you know, you just got to keep on doing your own thing. And if other people like it, great. If they don't, stuff them. <laughs> just do what you love and, yeah, keep it quirky. Yes, <laughs> you're such a wonderful person to have in, in this London community. And you're welcome, and I will end with that. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Don't forget to keep it quirky. Always, guys. <laughs> Her book, The Natural Baker, is out now, so go get yourself a copy. Thanks, as always, to my incredibly talented brother, Brian Quinn, for the theme song you hear. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review wherever you're listening. I love reading your thoughts, and it really does make a big difference. Holler at me on Instagram and Twitter at QKatie. Shout at me on email, keep it quirky podcast at gmail.com. And thanks again to Better Almond Butter for supporting this episode. Because, guys, as you know now, I love almond butter so much. I love it on toast with banana slices for a snack, stirred in with my oatmeal in the morning, or even just on a spoon. Who else is with me on that? Better Almond Butter is an almond butter brand that is reminding us how delicious and nutritious almond butter can be and should be. Better Almond Butter is 100% organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, and paleo with no added oil. They are also committed to sustainability by only using glass jars and 100% recyclable shipping materials. One last thing, all of the almond butter is made by the founder in small batches in Brooklyn, New York. You can get Better Almond Butter in three flavors, sweet and salty, toasted, and truly raw. So go to betteralmondbutter.com and buy it with the offer code Keep It Quirky to get 10% off the entire purchase. I mean, that's a good deal. All right. I will see everyone right back here next week. And until then, don't forget to keep it quirky. Bye.